0: Hey everybody, welcome back this week to Ask an Addiction Specialist. I'm Dr. Bob Weathers and I'm very happy to be with you today. I've got Franz Salvatier and Austin Armstrong with me here in the studios, co-producers of our regular series. This is, I think, our fifth episode. Really encourage you to go back and access previous episodes where we've covered, um, among other topics, uh, addiction in the brain. Uh, last week we looked at self-compassion and recovery. Uh, Today, we'll be looking at practicing gratitude in supporting early recovery and the kind of the overarching theme of our uh, of our presentations are twofold. One is that we talk about plural recovery and I want to say a word about that is that uh, it's my strong sense clinically and also personally myself being in recovery from addiction that uh, it really takes a village to encourage recovery so that that for those of you that are in recovery yourselves, that you might find resources here that would support you. For those of you that are loved ones of, of uh, uh, individuals in recovery, that you could find information that you'd find helpful in interaction with your loved ones. And if you're a professional in the field, working clients in recovery, that you would find resources here as well. So it's the idea of plural recovery, that it's equally important to develop a sense of community as it is to develop self-responsibility for effective recovery. Uh, as I mentioned, our last topic uh, last week was self-compassion. We, we worked through a forgiveness exercise, and today we'll be doing another exercise. The topic of today is practicing gratitude, and I'll be uh, fleshing it out, first of all, in terms of research that's been done in this area, and then we'll be doing an exercise like we did last week, a meditation that will um, involve gratitude. We'll be looking at why all of this is essential to sustain successful recovery. And so one premise of our series is plural recovery. A second premise is that we're talking about holistic self-care. And what I mean by holistic is a number of things, but we've started by defining this uh, a few uh, sessions ago, talking about a a perspective that embraces multiple quadrants, a biological perspective, a psychological perspective, a social perspective, and a cultural slash relational perspective. Uh, This this slide right here looks at the quadrants, and and let me just summarize this quickly as we kind of move towards today's topic. Mm -hmm. If you look in the upper right-hand quadrant, here's a focus on my physical health and how my physical health relates to uh, my recovery. And so we've discussed in our very first session, uh, addiction in the brain. Actually, in our next session, which I'll introduce Towards the end of today, we'll be talking about addiction in the brain and how addiction manifests and recovery manifests in relationship. And so, we'll be weaving back in that material in our next session, looking in a sense uh, with looking at the neuroscience of addiction and how that shows up relationally. So, this upper right-hand quadrant is really the realm of, of a medical perspective. The upper left-hand quadrant is more of a therapeutic perspective and in this perspective we look at my psychological and spiritual health and how those are um, instrumental to successful recovery. And we'll be going more deeply into this today as we did last week. We looked last week at self-compassion and how it is that uh, forgiveness and self-compassion are uh, related to the reduction of not only stress, but specifically of shame. Today we'll be looking at gratitude and practicing gratitude that we can develop skills in this upper left-hand quadrant that also ensure psychological and spiritual uh, foundations for our sustaining recovery. And so we'll be looking um, more in depth today in this upper left-hand quadrant, but let's also discuss the other two quadrants. In the lower right-hand quadrant is is uh, our work, our other social responsibilities, education, uh, for many um, uh, former addicts now seeking recovery, there's been involvement with the criminal justice system, so it's addressing those issues. Uh, also looking at uh, uh, financial concerns. This is kind of the practical everyday world that, that is equally important to the other domains for uh, sustaining successful recovery. And then finally, the lower left-hand quadrant, which I, I discussed it in terms of cultural. And I'm looking at cultural, really focusing on our families, our extended families, our friendships, our relationships as being our most immediate exposure to culture from inside. And then you can expand this more widely to society at large. And we we, we will be discussing, uh, even today as we talk about gratitudes, we'll be discussing the importance of uh, recognizing the resources that we have in our in our uh, core or most central relationships. So the idea of a holistic perspective is that all four of these dimensions are extremely important. And we've been focusing, like I said, the last week or two on the upper left-hand quadrant where we look at my psychological and spiritual health. Last week we introduced the idea of multiple developmental lines in this upper left-hand quadrant, which focuses on psychological and spiritual issues. We reviewed them the week before, and just quickly you can review this this slide here to see that we talk about cognitive intelligence. Most of us are familiar with that by way of IQ and tests that we had in academic uh, settings. There's also been a lot of research in the last 20 to 30 years on emotional intelligence. And we'll be talking about how we can build emotional intelligence by, by a self-reflection. And specifically today, looking at gratitude as one, um, one aspect of our emotional intelligence that's easy to ignore. And we're going to really kind of raise it up into awareness today. There are other dimensions, interpersonal intelligence, sometimes called social intelligence there's we discussed psychosexual intelligence which is looking at our sexual uh, behavior our values in the context of their psychological uh, um, primacy that that evolutionarily our sexual instincts are uh, extremely important to uh, our entire psychological development and so they deserve their own developmental line and they're right up next to the next developmental line which is moral development And uh, we've discussed before, and we'll continue to discuss this, especially next week when we look at how it is that for an addict who's active in his or her addiction, prior to that addictive behavior, they may have had a a very uh, well-developed moral uh, set of guidelines, and almost without fail, moral development takes a hard hit from active addiction, and so that moral behaviors and moral decision-making tend to erode rapidly amidst addiction. And the goal, uh, one of the goals of of sobriety is to begin to rebuild the, the foundations of a healthy morality in relationship to ourselves and to others. And then finally, spiritual intelligence. And today's discussion, in addition to focusing on emotional intelligence, as we look at gratitude, the same with last week when we talked about forgiveness, it gets very hard to differentiate between psychological health and spiritual health or what is a psychological variable and what is a spiritual variable. My own sense of it is that gratitude as a way of being is easily as, as, as much of a spiritual sensibility as it is a psychological behavior. And so we'll be looking at, at the continuum of psychology and spirituality and where they meet, including in today's conversation about, about gratitude. I also want to review just quickly, uh, it'll set up our talking about gratitude and some of the research that's been done here in the state of California that's been done on gratitude by, by reviewing uh, uh, relapse, relapse to addiction. And the number one trigger consistently has been shown to be stress. Stress externally, oftentimes in the context of relationship, stress internally as well. And so when we're stressed by external events, uh, expectations, pressures, and or stressed by internal events, oftentimes uh, this is the highest risk for relapse. The number one stressor has been shown to be shame. Psychology defines shame as a threat to social acceptance. Being shamed is to be put out, to be cast out from the, the community, our, our, our community of loved ones, the ones that we need for our emotional and even physical survival. And so a threat to social acceptance, and the flip side of that coin is a threat to self esteem is that to be threatened by being rejected by people that you love uh, for most individuals goes right into a diminishment of self-esteem. And so threat to social acceptance, threat to, to, to self-esteem equals shame. Let's talk a little bit about shame because we're gonna be looking at another one of the antidotes to shame. So follow the logic here. If the number one trigger for relapse is stress and the number one stressor for most individuals is shame, it's going to become very important that we understand what shame is, kind of get the lay of the land, and then begin to devise strategies for reducing shame if we're going to sustain successful recovery. So what is shame? <clears throat> I just met with a, a group of men this afternoon in our unshaming group. That's what we've defined it as. And we start the group by by uh, asking for definitions. And I can still picture one of the men in the group sharing this. And it's simple enough to, to uh, remember is that uh, we, we make a distinction between shame and guilt. Guilt is where I do something wrong and need to amend that behavior, and I feel bad until I do. Shame is where I do something wrong, and it's not the behavior that I feel bad about. Primarily, I feel bad about myself. In fact, typically shame ends up with me feeling like there's something wrong or defective with me. And I asked the group, I said, I said well, why does this distinction make any difference in terms of our conversation about recovery? And several men in the group volunteered answers that, that if we put them all together, sound somewhat like this: is that, shame is some. Uh, excuse me, guilt is is about something, and if it's something outside of me, then I can change that. Whereas shame is about me. It's not about something out there. It's about me. And uh, feeling like there's something broken, fundamentally wrong about me leads very quickly to hopelessness, despair, and a sense of paralysis. And so in fact, shame is, is the number one enemy of recovery insofar as the recovery is stalled or paralyzed, even biologically. By the experience of shame, I followed up on this today by asking the group members to describe what is their experience in their being in their bodies when they experience shame there's a whole range of different responses, but they they boil down to a sense of heaviness, a sense of wanting to crawl into a hole uh, a sense of um, stuckness in a place that many of the the respondents in the group today could identify. This feeling is, is such an awful feeling, such a horrible feeling, that you'll do almost anything to get rid of it, including resort to substance, to alter consciousness. And so it's a little bit about shame. It's universal. It's one of the universal emotions. We all know it, and it comes up in different forms and fashions. Oh, I should mention that one of the one of the members of the group today said, when I asked, what does shame feel like? He said, well, it's just shame pisses me off. And I said, that's, a, that's, that's exactly right. In fact, especially in the context of a men's group, we men especially have been socialized not to uh, experience and certainly not show softer, more vulnerable emotions. And it doesn't get much more vulnerable than feeling like you're a failure. And so to get pissed off, to get angry, is understandable uh, uh, for all of us, and maybe in some ways, especially has its own special kind of rootedness in being socialized as a male in US culture. And so, oftentimes, though the first indirect indicator you will get in a man of being ashamed is that he'll be angry. And so, to, to look at what's underneath the anger, and not infrequently, what it is is a, is a sense of great vulnerability, namely that there's something wrong or defective about me. So it can show up sometimes in cloaks that that make it hard to actually see that there's shame underneath that. That begs the next question. How do we work with our own shame? Last week we talked about one way of working with it that's directly into it, which is, Beginning to develop self compassion, we actually went through an exercise last week that's intended to build muscles of self compassion, and you can review that. I encourage you to go to Ask an Addiction Specialist and review our archive videos. There, last week's uh, the the latter half of our of our uh, podcast was spent in doing an exercise that practiced regularly. I can vouch for this personally and also i can vouch for the research that supports this that practice regularly you actually can begin to build up resilience in the face of shame and so you actually can unshame a shame response by practicing self-compassion exercises like last week's well there's a companion piece and that brings us up to today which is another way to work with our own shame is to practice gratitude let me uh situate our conversation about gratitude in the context of um, research that's been done over the last couple of decades. The the big name in shame research is Dr. Robert Emmons. He's a psychologist up at UC Davis in Central California, and he is the world expert on psychological studies of gratitude. You can go online and read uh, read. Uh, his uh, papers. You could also uh, view YouTube lectures of his as well. Very illuminating. And so Robert Emmons has talked about the relationship, among other things, the relationship of gratitude to stress. And in fact, what he is uh, what he's discovered in, in years of research is that to to actually practice gratitude, and I'm not talking about doing something that's just um, Uh, by rote. I don't think that any of this works by rote. You have to really invest yourself in this, but to actually practice gratitude, and we'll be doing an exercise after a short break here. I'm inviting, by the way, any comments or questions as we go along. I can address those during our our break in a few minutes. Uh, We'll be doing an exercise that will actually concretize how it is that we can practice gratitude. But Dr. Emmons research suggests that, that to practice gratitude is actually fundamentally incompatible with stress. It's impossible to be in a state, a psychological state of gratitude, uh, genuinely feeling thankfulness and uh, and experience stress at the same time. It makes me think that this is a timely presentation because we're just a few weeks away from Thanksgiving and to really open one's heart to thanksgiving in one's life, uh, and I'm going to suggest ways of doing that shortly, is really a way to begin to reduce stress and practice regularly. In fact, I read some research. I read a fair bit of Dr. Emmons' research just this week in preparation for today's presentation. He talks about practicing it five days a week just to stop and reflect on what we're grateful for, and to practice that for a few minutes a day done for a period of weeks can actually lower one's modal level of stress, your kind of your more continuous level of stress, just by practicing gratitude. It's common sense, and most of us have had some taste of this, but it's really easy to miss this. I found it very helpful today in the group that I led with the men. One of them shared this. I really related to it. He said that. For him, it's hard to stay, it's hard to remain in a state of gratitude for uh, good things in his life because he becomes used to them, begins to take them for granted. Psychology calls this habituation, where we, we habituate to however things are going and actually create a baseline there, and that baseline doesn't really trigger us to be grateful for it. So what we're talking about today talks takes really seriously. Stepping back, stopping, stepping back from our day-to-day lives and reflecting with some uh, differentiation about the various uh, aspects of our lives that we're uh, we're thankful for. And I'm going to help break that out here in our exercise in a few minutes. But before I do that, let me discuss another psychologist's work. This is Dr. Joseph Wolpe. Uh, I had the pleasure of being a colleague uh, in a local university with Dr. Wolpe towards the latter end of his career. Dr. Wolpe is the father of modern behavior therapy. Um, His origins were in South Africa. He came to the United States and in the 1950s and on really established the, the, the basis for, for example, treating phobias with what he called systematic desensitization. Uh, The principle at stake here is is common sense. The language is a bit forbidding. He introduced the term of reciprocal inhibition. He actually applied reciprocal inhibition from studies in uh, 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 physiological responses applied to psychology. And this became the basis for behavior therapy. So let me explain what reciprocal inhibition is. Dr. Wolpe's uh, idea was this, and I, I spoke to him about this. His idea was this. If we can train a relaxation response, won't it be the opposite of a stress response? And if somebody can learn to relax, doesn't it stand to reason that their stress levels would drop? Now, this is so old now. This is a nearly a half century developed that it's probably common sense and certainly you, you, it's hard to open up a newspaper, health section of a newspaper or magazine and not read something about meditation and other forms of self-regulation uh, or stress management. Uh, they're based, based in this, in this idea that, that uh, I, can be, I can be anxious on the one hand, or I can be relaxed on the other. And if I can cultivate skills, behaviors, hence behavior therapy, skills for relaxing myself, it's the most direct way of reducing my stress or my anxiety. Now how this might apply to uh, our, our conversation about gratitude today, just as Dr. Uh, Robert Emmons looked at how it is that gratitude is the opposite of stress, I'd like to suggest that it's impossible to be grateful and be in a state of severe shame at the same time. And so I'm drawing on Dr. Wolpe's idea of reciprocal inhibition is that if I can develop muscles towards gratitude, it's possible that what I'll do is that I'll weaken the reflex that uh, turns me towards shame. So let me talk about that a little bit more. And this is just my own reflections on this in the last uh, few weeks, especially, but also the last few years of practicing uh, gratitude practice as part of my own daily meditation. My thought is this, is that if you look at shame the way we just talked about it, is that shame leaves me with this this overall feeling of being worthless, of somehow there's something wrong with me, defective, broken about me. In that state of mind, part of the subjective experience of shame is not only feeling worthless, but also part of what goes with that sense of worthlessness is that I don't deserve good things. And so there's a sense that that i go through life not expecting anything to turn out like what i want not expecting any grace particularly and so it stands to reason at least in my way of thinking that if i can practice ways of noticing what i feel fortunate about in my life what i feel grateful for that it's actually going the opposite direction of where shame would take me. Shame would take me in the direction of nothing to be grateful for. Practicing gratitude would be heightening in my awareness what I'm thankful for. And so in a sense, it's pushing the opposite direction. It's creating a counterforce to the entropy uh, that shame draws me into. So in that spirit then, what we want to introduce today is an exercise on practicing gratitude. So for our our, uh, exercise today, I want to share with you Um, uh, what I've developed over the last several years um, and has become a a pivotal part of my own mindfulness uh, practice. And I'll lead us in an exercise that uh, is meant to be suggestive. And if you find it helpful, and I hope that you might, uh, the goal isn't just a single experience of it today. You might get a taste of of what we talked about in terms of a, a slight reduction in stress or even a slight reduction in shame, but it will be the habitual practice of this that will strengthen it inside and actually raise the water table of, of grace and uh, self-compassion and gratitude within you. So uh, let today be suggestive of where you might go and let me mention one other piece as well. I'm going to share with you what I've developed and it, it's very much a function of my own background in psychology. And I'll, I'll articulate that as we go along. I don't see any reason why you couldn't adapt this into a language and into a pattern that works specifically for you. I feel like all of this is about all of, in fact, this is part of the conversation today in the, in the recovery group is that our recoveries are so individual. And so it's about goodness of fit with who you are as a person. So I'm hoping that you might find some way of imagining applying what we talk about uh, in this exercise today to your own practice I guess I wanna say one last piece is that what we're talking about is in the context of recovery specifically from addiction. Um, i don 't think that that these practices today, any more than the practices last week about self compassion are somehow relegated to a ghetto of those that are in recovery from addiction i 'd like to su- suggest on the other hand that they're they 're universally applicable and so if you 're a therapist, I hope that you might find usefulness for the for for the, uh, with this practice today in your own personal life as well as in your clinical work if you 're the loved one of an addict in recovery, same deal. I hope that you can find it helpful, useful yourself and applying it to yourself and also supporting it in your loved one's uh, recovery process. And certainly if you're an individual who is seeking recovery from addiction, I'm hoping that you'll find a way to implement this in your daily practice as well. What I'll do is I'll start with a brief uh, mindfulness of the breath exercise to kind of get us relaxed a bit. And then I'll guide us through a number of different steps, actually five different steps of practicing gratitude. And uh, for the sake of our presentation today, I'll be saying a bit about these more so than I do when I practice that myself. For you to know when I practice what we're going to do in probably 15 or 20 minutes together, I take less than five minutes to move through all of this uh, in my own practice. It becomes a part of my meditation practice. I generally practice 20, 20 minutes of meditation. And last week we talked about self-compassion. The forgiveness practice is five minutes of my uh, daily meditation. And this practicing gratitudes is another five minutes. And uh, I in my meditation, with, actually with gratitudes. It's a wonderful, wonderful way for me to uh, finish my meditation and move into the day. So in that spirit then, will you please join me? I believe uh, for the sake of concentration, I'll close my eyes. Uh, You're welcome to do that yourself uh, as I guide us through this if you're comfortable. If you'd rather just keep your eyes open, then do that as well. I find closing my eyes helpful for me to center and focus more. And if you find that way, I give you full permission to close your eyes too. Okay, so let's begin. As I said, we'll start with mindfulness of breathing just to kind of get us uh, focused on our bodies and a bit more relaxed. So just take in a deep breath in your own tempo. Hold that breath and then release when you're ready. Feel your body settle. Take in another deep breath. And let that go when you're ready. On the next couple or three breath cycles, see if you can just focus on the sensations of breathing and set thoughts and feelings aside as much as possible. If they arise, and they will, just set them aside like they're on a shelf. And just focus on the sensation of breathing. I find it most useful just to feel the rising of my tummy uh, with the in-breath and the uh, relaxing of my tummy on the out-breath. So you can focus there if that's useful to you. So deep in-breath. And letting go, feeling your stomach settle. Another in-breath. Out-breath. One more breath cycle. Breathing in, holding. Breathing out. Some of you will have religious or spiritual backgrounds where you'll feel comfortable, more comfortable maybe expressing gratitude to God or to your higher power. You're welcome to do that Uh, as we go through the gratitudes. It doesn't require that. I don't do that myself actually when I go through the gratitudes. It's more about just stopping to appreciate various blessings in our lives, various gifts, various graces, and uh, you can find your way with how you want to attribute that, okay? So I mentioned that there are five phases of this gratitude practice. For those of you that are interested, I base these on Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I just developed this over the years myself. It gives me a pretty comprehensive way to weave through my day-to-day experience and uh, gives me a chance to explore things that I might otherwise miss. So five different strands that we'll be moving through. The first has to do with our physical well-being, our physical bodies. This is what Maslow called the physiological level of our needs. And so I'll share with you what I found helpful. I start by uh, acknowledging gratitude for my sobriety today. For those of you in recovery, here's a chance to acknowledge, no matter how new recovery is to you, if you have a day of recovery under your belt, that's something to be grateful for. And so to stop and just pause and express gratitude for that next is more general health just general health and well-being i don't know about you but there's oftentimes a a a body ache here or getting over an illness there but what i'm struck by is that there are many aspects of my physical health for which i'm grateful that i take for granted and this is a way to stop and just express appreciation for the health that you do have if you find this meaningful this can be a good place to to land for just a moment and express gratitude for physical health. I've recently been ill with bronchitis. It's kind of drug on for longer than I would have anticipated. And as I pull out of those symptoms and begin to feel my physical health return, it's not hard to be grateful. It's harder when it's the norm, when it's the baseline. But when it's not, it's easier to identify it. Uh, next is a gratitude for, for any kind of physical exercise that you've been able to experience, whether it's going for a walk or working out in the gym. Uh, whatever you do uh, for, for physical exercise of any kind, your body appreciates that and it's just a chance to express gratitude for that. Next, I, I allow myself to express gratitude. Uh, it goes kind of like this. I'm grateful for uh, uh, my diet, uh, for eating well today, if that's the case, or even having had a good meal, or overall you know, watching what I eat to try to focus on eating nutritious foods. And to the extent that's true for you, that's something to express gratitude for, and your body expresses it as well. And this is you stopping and pausing and giving voice to your body's gratitude for that. For many of us who are in recovery from addictions, our diets uh, really suffered. And as you regain physical strength and health, the diet uh, is such an important part of that, along with exercise and also sleep. That's the next thing to express gratitude for. Again, something easy to take for granted, but if you've experienced insomnia, whether acutely or chronically, if you were able to get one more hour's sleep last night than you typically do, that's something to be grateful for. For many of the individuals that I work with, and the same for me in my own recovery process, insomnia was really a source of suffering in the, the early many months of recovery from Uh, alcohol and other drug addiction. And so this, this issue of sleep is not a small one for any individual in recovery from addiction for sure. It's not to be taken for granted. And then also I include uh, exercises like this right now. I I include gratitude for my, uh, my, my mnemonic inside is just self-regulation things that I I can do to manage stress and kind of even out center my body I'm so grateful for uh, meditations like this quiet time ways that I I'm able to pull out of the fray and just be quiet really grateful for that This is what I summarize when I think of gratitude in in the physical realm, and there may be other uh, aspects that you want to add yourself, and you're welcome to do that. That's the first strand, the the physiological strand of of, of Maslow's hierarchy. The next is what he calls security, and so I want to talk about that uh, in terms of gratitude. In terms of security, uh, I I break this out into different domains. Uh, I start, first of all, in kind of the physical domain. Uh, I I, I literally am grateful for security of having a roof over my head at night. And I stop and pause. I'm grateful for the home in which I live. I see clients that uh, are in a safe setting as they begin their recovery process. Uh, a residential setting, and to be grateful for that, to not be on the streets, to not be exposed to the elements. To have a, a warm bed and to have food is something to be grateful for, for all of us to be grateful for. There's so many on this planet right now that do not have that security. is it the most basic level? I also include here gratitude for, uh, for me to be employed, I'm grateful for employment. I also include here gratitude for uh, physical belongings, material belongings, uh, uh, because I think that those matter, and so I'm grateful for, for those things. I, I mentioned somewhat tongue-in-cheek recently, I'm grateful for my drums, I'm a lifelong drummer, and I'm really grateful. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I played this Sunday locally at a jazz brunch, I'm really grateful to have such a beautiful set of drums that sound so wonderful. I'm so grateful for that. That's purely a material belonging, but it means a lot to me. I'm really grateful for that. And you may have belongings in your own life like that. But along with physical or material belongings, I also include uh, emotional security. And this would be acknowledging with gratitude Any relationships that I have right now in which I feel consistent support, uh, people in my life, loved ones that I can rely on, this could be even one person, or maybe a handful of people, and just to pause and express gratitude for being able to rely or count on them. For those of us who are in recovery, especially those who are early in recovery, this is oftentimes a very challenged proposition. Uh, Many of us early in recovery have uh, uh, burnt so many bridges relationally that it's very hard sometimes to find anybody who really is in our corner. Sometimes it can be a therapist. Sometimes it can be a family member who hasn't yet given up on us. But it's really to acknowledge with gratitude what a gift, uh, how important that is to us. I also, in my own personal practice, acknowledge spiritual security. And you can find your own language for this if it's a meaningful category for you. It is for me. I, ex- I experience gratitude in terms of my uh, secure relationship to what most people call God. I don't really have a name for that, or it, or him, her, they, she. <laughs> it's a felt sense for me. But I'm very grateful for spiritual resource, higher power, whatever language you're comfortable for. Uh, for its reliability in my life, really grateful for that. Feel like it's something beyond me that is uh, utterly uh, to be counted upon and secure. That's the second strand of security. The next is what Abraham Maslow, the psychologist, called belongingness needs, and so this is in the realm of belongingness or emotional intimacy with others. and Here's a chance for us to stop and just express gratitude for those that are centermost in our lives. Those for whom we have the most love. Those from whom we receive the most love. So this can be your partner. This can be children. It can be parents. It can be family members. It can be close friends. I even include here people that have been close to me that have, have passed, that are deceased. Uh, they still are with me. Years ago, I was in supervision with Bonnie Badenoch, a, a therapist here locally who's now up in the northwest, who's done so much work around mindfulness <clears throat> and tying it into changing our brains so that we can experience improvement in our lives. And I love Bonnie, and I I brought to Bonnie uh, years and years, actually decades, of mindfulness practice myself. But I told her, I said, I feel oftentimes I feel so lonely in my meditations, and she was the one that introduced Bob. Just bring in. The people that you love into your meditation and so this piece belongingness and expressing gratitude for those that I love so dearly is really a way to uh, people my meditation. I no longer feel uh, disconnected or lonely in my quiet time. I feel like I'm surrounded by those that mean the most to me and I, br- I draw them to mind. How I do this is I'll, I'll mention those, uh, I'll bring those to mind that are just daily in my life in a very meaningful way. And then I'll also uh, review the last day or, or the last couple days, if it's been that long, of people that have, have been important to me that, that I may see sporadically, but just somebody who touched me. really helps me to stop and to express appreciation for loving interactions, kind interactions that I experience. Sometimes even with a stranger, just something meaningful exchange is worth stopping and noting. Bonnie's point in supervision is that when we draw these memories to mind, that feeling state is actually as if we're being loved by them right now. In fact, we are, and that that's a good thing for the body. She always talked about it in terms of sending soothing messages from our front of our brain down to our emotional center. I believe that's true. <laughs> I spent a good bit of time on this piece. So if that was gratitude for our our intimate relationships, the love in our lives, the belongingness. The fourth strand has to do with what uh, Maslow called self-esteem needs. And I tie this into the research of Albert Bandura up at Stanford University, who studied for much of his career what goes into building self-esteem And he came up with the term, based on a lot of his research, self-efficacy is what builds self-esteem. And by that he meant the things that we do well, gifts that we've been given, gifts that we've cultivated, skills that, that are ours that we can be proud of. And this is a time to stop and give gratitude for those gifts, for those skills, those capacities. To individuals I work with who are in recovery from addiction. It's a chance to stop and reflect with pride about steps being taken to change our lives for the better. In today's group, one individual mentioned that his work directly relates to his re establishing family relationships that have been broken for years, and it's a huge incentive for him to cultivate his recovery and to sustain it. And it feels good to him to stop and reflect on that, that itself, to be proud of the recovery that he's been able to build so far. That itself becomes further motivation to continue on because it feels so doggone good to him. And there were several others in the group that shared their own versions of it. For the sake of realizing the dreams or the potential of our lives to build these skills in solid committed recovery uh, is a huge grace. And this is a chance to stop and reflect on that. I feel grateful to be here right today, to be able to bring my own recovery to our podcast, uh, my own background in psychology, my own personal uh, allegiance to meditation, all of my creativity to bear on this conversation. It feels really good to me. This becomes part of what builds Bob Weathers' self-esteem. <laughs> and I'd like you to reflect on the same for yourself. And then the final strand. Uh, we've talked about gratitude on the physiological level, the the physical level, our health and so on. We've talked about gratitude for security, both material and emotional security. We've talked about gratitude for belonging to others, our loved ones. We just talked about gratitude for the foundations of our self-esteem and the skills that we're building across a lifetime. And the final, the final strand also uh, indebted here to Abraham Maslow, is gratitude for self-actualization. That's, that's his exact term. And what, what he meant by that, I already reflected on it a, a moment ago, is to whatever extent that I am moving in the direction of my life goals, my values, what I see to be my purpose, all of that has to do with actualizing my potential, actualizing myself. And this is the chance to pause and reflect with gratitude on any of the ways that we're doing that today, these days. For me, this is kind of the cherry on the top of the Sunday, And it also times, oftentimes will draw on the previous gratitudes, things that I'm doing to take care of my body. An example is today after our podcast, I intend to go home and work out I'm grateful for that, and uh, it feels like that my physical health as I'm rebuilding it after a recent illness is so instrumental to all the other dimensions of my life, so I'm I'm grateful for that, and it's very much part of my (laughs) self-actualizing is to take care of my body. Things I've done today to, to connect to others in a meaningful, loving, caring, giving way, that feels really good to me. I just came from the group of men that I uh, meet with every Wednesday afternoon, our unshaming group, and got a chance to express to a couple of the men there that hadn't been there for a while, one of them hadn't been there for a while, how grateful I was to see him. And I know it meant something to him, and I know it meant something to me because my eyes teared up. It's genuine. And it's like feeling so grateful to be able to extend care that way to others and to receive love from others as well. That's instrumental to my self-actualization. And then I also think about what we're doing right now. Anything I can do to build my strength uh, spiritually feels like that it's in direct support of self-actualization and to experience gratitude for that. I feel like that quiet time is one of the biggest gifts I can give to myself. It's one of the hardest things for me to give to myself because I, I'm so oriented as so many of us are towards productivity and busyness. Here we are just stopping all of that and just reflecting for a moment in silence on what we're grateful for right now, including this practice. Now for me, this is where I begin to move. Um, I kind of wind down from my, uh, my day's meditation. I include a prayer here, Uh, I think I want to leave this to you, Uh, I include a prayer to God here that expresses gratitude for the entire world, uh, as well as gratitude for my experience of companionship through the day by something greater than myself, as well as gratitude for that which moves through me, which I feel like is again, a power greater than myself. Uh, I'd rather not be prescriptive here. I'd rather be evocative and invite you to come up with what makes sense to you, what feels right to you. If you come from a faith tradition that has a way of expressing thanksgiving to the divine in your faith tradition, then utilize that. If you have a uh, secular means of expressing gratitude and kind of winding that down, um, that's applicable here for sure. This doesn't require a belief system, it just requires an openness to reflecting on the graces that, that we've experienced and pausing uh, for a few moments a day to, to acknowledge them. At this point you're welcome to open your eyes if they were closed, I'll open my eyes. <laughs> I'll wind down by just a couple of reflections back on what we were talking about. I don't know for you, but I can say this for me, I'm here online with you right now, but having engaged in the first opening exercise of meditation on the breath and then moving through this, I'm pretty doggone calm. (laughs) And with practice can get even calmer. I'll tell you guys a quick story. I started almost 40 years ago meditating a little bit less than 40 years ago and it was it, it came to me a couple of things came to me i used to go to the ymca in graduate school that was local and i'd swim every morning i think i swim a half mile every morning i can't remember it's been so long since my shoulders have allowed me to do freestyle but i remember it started There there's something about the rhythm of swimming there's not much going on for a good half hour or longer it began to feel very calming to me. I began to experience benefit of the regular exercise, specifically swimming. Uh, later, this was manifested in running. I ran for years and years. Would run three miles every morning, very much the same way. Would experience just this a uh, profound calm. And so there was kind of a, uh, a, a athletic introduction to meditation for me. And I've, I've remembered it just in recent weeks that there was an advanced graduate student in the psychology program who uh, asked for a volunteer and I volunteered for it, for somebody who wanted to uh, learn uh, biofeedback. And he was doing research on biofeedback. Well, I volunteered and so I'd go there once a week and Bill would hook me up to these electrodes. It's not as scary as it sounds. They just basically monitored my uh, skin response, perspiration, galvanic skin response is what they call it. And these electrodes were so sensitive that stress of any kind will manifest as increased sweat including in our fingertips. And he taught me uh, via biofeedback, there's like a tone and you can begin to lower that tone. He taught me how to lower my stress level, subtle, but it's quite learnable. And I don't remember the timing exactly. That was in my first year of graduate school, which was 1979, which is close to, we're getting close to 40 years ago. But it was within the next summer that I began reading about meditation and actually put down the books and began meditating. Well, I don't know what led me to this, but in the last week, I ordered a little biofeedback kit (laughs) through Amazon. And it's the same thing that Bill did with me 40 years ago. Two little electrodes, I put them on my fingers. A little tone, now it runs through a smartphone. In those days, it was this contraption on his desk. Same principle. And I want to say this because I was struck by it, is that there's a certain baseline that you start off with as soon as you put your fingers on. The idea is to lower that Well, if you were to put those on my fingertips right now, and this is kind of what happened this weekend when I tried it for the first time, my baseline stress level is so low that it's almost at the beginning of what this thing can pick up on. (laughs) So I was, believe it or not, kind of disappointed. Uh, I did experiment with it because you can introduce a stressful thought and it will rise instantly. It's pretty amazing, you guys. But I think we just did an exercise. And if we were all hooked up to these two little electrodes, and we're to be monitoring stress levels right now, I hope to think that there there was at least a mild reduction in stress level for all of us. And whether there was or not in this single exercise, I can guarantee based on now decades of research coming out of studies, for example, at the, the University of Wisconsin with Richard Davidson, or at Harvard University with John Kabat-Zinn, or even here locally at UCLA with a mindful awareness uh, research project uh, being headed up by uh, Dr. Uh, Daniel Siegel. Uh, there's so much research to indicate that we can build muscles, and what's crazy about it is we can build them quickly by practicing meditation. The latest research I read is that to practice even six 20-minute mindfulness meditation sessions will manifest as a lowering of stress level, the, the the average stress level. And it gets even crazier. There's actually recognizable thickening in the frontal cortex from that few meditation sessions as you begin to change brain structure. I'm talking about six meditation sessions. The conventional wisdom used to be six weeks. Now it's down to six sessions. And so that's pretty compelling evidence to suggest that Practicing that what we've practiced even a number of times can be helpful. I'd like to challenge all of us to practice this in the way that uh, Robert Emmons, the the gratitude expert, recommends. is just five times this week, five days this week, five out of the next seven days to pause and take just a few minutes to express gratitude. I've suggested a cartography where you can break down various uh, things to focus on in terms of gratitude to practice that for just five times this week and see how you are at the end of the week in terms of your stress level. And I even might say your shame level. So that's practicing gratitude for today in supportive recovery. I'm going to give you a preview of where we're going next. Uh, next week we have, uh, on schedule, looking at addiction in the context of relationships, and also looking at recovery in the context of relationships. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be drawing on research from uh, brain science in terms of what happens, including an early recovery that has direct impact on our relationships, particularly with loved ones. For example, we'll be talking about introducing post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Uh, The acronym is PAWS, P-A-W-S. We'll be talking about PAWS in the context of relationships and what can be done to begin to repair the ruptures that are inevitable in our relationships in and around addiction uh, as we move into recovery. So we'll be looking at that next week. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Um, I want to mention that you can go to uh, the website here for drbobweathers.com. In addition to Ask an Addiction Specialist, I'm posting our presentations there as well. I also post them on my personal Facebook page, uh, DrBobWeathers.com. I think it's Robert Weathers right now, and we're in the process of switching over to Dr. Bob Weathers to Facebook. You can find it on Facebook. And I just cross-linked to Ask an Addiction Specialist. So all roads lead to Rome. They'll all end up landing you at Ask an Addiction Specialist. I mentioned my own website there because there are resources in addition to these videos. There's uh, there's another podcast I do uh, weekly that also is very complimentary with what we're doing. And plus there are almost daily blog posts. Uh, that i publish on facebook but they're also published on the website and the website is really meant as a conduit or clearinghouse for information on addiction and recovery i'm very much committed to addressing particularly and you'll see it implied in the last two weeks for example very much uh, committed to addressing unshaming uh, the reduction of shame as instrumental to successful recovery so a lot of my work is addressing shame and stigma in addiction and post addiction in recovery. And so there's a lot of resources on my site in that domain. Also, I have a book coming out of this December. I'll be announcing that, uh, including here on Ask an Addiction Specialist. And uh, I'm, what I'm working with with the book is there's an actual text. There's a the book. But uh, the what makes this book a little bit more extended in my completing is I'm including a curriculum with the book that allows you to move into the book and work online with uh, resources, sending you to questionnaires online, exercises online. So it's really not one of these conventional books. Uh, That you just read and set down. It really is a book that you just kind of tear apart and work with. And so I'm completing that this fall, and and the goal is to have it done by the end of uh, December and out early next year. And so that'll be a book that really uh, integrates and organizes a lot of what we're talking about here in Ask an Addiction Specialist. Thank you all for joining. I want to thank again Austin. Armstrong and friend Salvatierra for your producing this with such excellence. Bring your questions to the site. You're welcome to ask questions. Austin or Franz will direct me and I'll respond to you this week. And I hope that you'll join us next week as we look at addiction, relationships, and recovery. Blessings for now. Uh, much gratitude for you joining us. Thank you.